This is episode 108 of the Rising Man podcast with Michael Gay. The dark does not destroy the light, it defines it. Good rising family, blessings out to all y'all risers out there joining me here, representing the Rising Man movement. My name is Jetty Azuma, as I have said many times over. The Rising Man mission is to initiate an entire generation of men so that our children and the coming generations have strong masculine leadership to guide them into an uncertain future. After two years of clarifying the Rising Man message and establishing our roots and values, it's more clear to me now than it's ever been. What men need most is brotherhood and a space where we can realize we're not alone in our challenges and our fears or our obstacles. It's exactly what this episode is about today. So you tuned in for a great one. But before we get into that, if you've been lone wolfing it, if you're looking to clarify your purpose, if you're wandering out there in the world, wondering what does it mean to be a man? What do I need to do next in my life? I don't know where else to go. Then the Rising Man Tribe has something for you. Go check us out at risingman.org to find out about our virtual men's circles, our four-day vision fest initiations, more of our video content, and so much more. It's all housed at risingman.org, so go check it out today. Okay, my guest for today's episode is Michael Gay. Michael is a therapist in private practice in Boulder, Colorado. He earned his MA in clinical mental health counseling from Naropa University with a focus in transpersonal psychology. He was a wilderness therapy guide for six years, leading and facilitating in deep transformational work with teens, adults, and families in the mountains and high desert. He's also worked extensively in the field of addiction and recovery. He's currently involved with a rapidly growing men's organization called Sacred Sons, which many of you guys have heard about already, working to bring men together for transformational experiences, brotherhood, healing, and empowerment. He's been deeply involved with men's work for the last 15 years, both participating and facilitating. He lives near Rocky Mountain National Park in the town of Lyons. In this episode, we discussed Michael's description of shadow work. What is it? Why is it such an important process for men to go through? And that shadow work is never a one and done thing and it cannot be done alone. We talked about the relationship between repression and creativity, the effectiveness of non-cognitive experiential approaches to healing trauma, basically getting out of our head and into an experience of our bodies when it comes to releasing traumatic events from our past. What role does safety play in shadow work and in men's work? Why is that such a pivotal word? Why we are only as sick as our secrets. We are only as sick as our secrets. Love that phrase. Michael goes into this one in depth. Talked about forgiveness and how it must be felt authentically and it cannot be forced. Why we hold on to the most negative experiences and emotions that we have in our lives and the difference between ceremony and ritual. Without further ado, Michael Gay. Rising Man family, got another amazing man here joining me on the show today, all the way from the Lion's Den out in Colorado, Mr. Michael Gay. How you doing, bro? Indeed. Doing so good. It's great to be here with you, man. Yeah, man. I'm really honored to have you on the show today. Got to meet you at Convergence with the Sacred Sons. Shout out to Sacred Sons, our brothers out there. And Yeah, indeed. What, one of the reasons I, I had to have you on Rising Man is because of this, the type of work that you do, but more specifically how you hold it. I know I've said this to you directly, but you have such a groundedness and clear commitment to this, what a lot of people will call shadow work. I know it's Sometimes that's the terminology we use, but based off of the Gestalt method and uh, just really excited to see what you have to say about that when we have a conversation here today. You bet, man. I'm happy to give an introduction and and deep dive in philosophy of it and why it's important. Cool. Well, before we get into that stuff, let me ask you what I ask every guest I have on here. And that is, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Oh, man. (laughs) Good question. The first thing that comes to mind, I come from a bit of a ritual background, so to me, a boy is someone who is physically young and growing, and they're in process of learning. They're sort of going through a ripening process. I think a man is, that's a word that we throw around. It's like a simple word, but it means a lot of things. But I think it's not only our physical maturing age, but it means someone to cook a person all the way really requires a lot more than just being an adult physiologically. So I think a man is someone who's gone through a number of processes or trials or apprenticeships to really 
cultivate and grow himself to really plug into life fully in ways that a boy cannot. So yeah, so it's a, I see it as a spectrum. It's not just being physiologically old, but we have to go through some ritual process to really come into the manhood self. And I, I like something you said in there that stood out to me. You said cooking a person. And so immediately I got a, a vision of cooking a boy, not not literally cooking a boy, but what, what does it look like to <laughs> cook and prepare a boy? And, and at what point does it become a man? Like, I guess, ready to eat, you know, ready to ready to serve. Yeah, and, I think uh, that's a great metaphor. Yeah, well, well it's funny because I, I thought of a stew because I don't think, and maybe you disagree, but I don't think that a boy gets cooked and then the, then the preparation is complete. I, I believe that a man is always being cooked. So maybe it's more like a stew Agreed. that it gets Agreed. better the more that it cooks. <laughs> is that how, right. You how can always add things. You can always throw things in. You just keep cooking. Yeah, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. There okay. does seem to be some kind of tipping point where you can actually feed it to people, you know? Mm. It becomes edible. It becomes nourishing to the community. It becomes nourishing to the earth. It becomes nourishing to the, the people around him. Oof. That's a good metaphor right there, man. I really, really like that one. Well, let me let me ask you a follow-up question to this. I've been asking this more often. What kind of boy were you? Oh, man. <laughs> I was outside all the time. It was interesting. I didn't play a lot of sports when I was a kid, strictly for that reason. It was strange to me to imagine being in town on the weekends to do something for a couple of hours when I could be you know, at my grandparents' farm or up in the mountains with my family. So we were hardly ever in town on the weekends, so we got out a lot. Um, so I was outside a lot, but I was also like a very sensitive kid. I was a super empathic kid. I was really attuned to people's pain, to people's suffering. And that was there from, from moment one. I'm a caretaker and a cut up and definite goofball and a storyteller. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like you were, you were being cooked and prepared to do the work that you're doing today, way back then. then. You know, it does seem that way. It does <laughs> seem that way. I was suspicious of people that would say that, you know, James Hillman and people that would say, life does prepare us and we look back on our lives and things come together in an elegant way. Mm. I was just like, I don't know if that's true, but looking back, it does seem to be the case. <laughs> well, then let's start talking about your your medicine and your service. I mentioned shadow work and gestalt method, but before we go into definitions about that, if I, if I threw out the word shadow and imagining that there's some guys who are going to listen to this that have no idea what you know shadow work or a guy's shadow is, mm-hmm. how, how would you define that? What do you articulate that as? And we could talk about that for a couple of days. So <laughs> I'm going to try to give the light version of it. There's a couple of ways people talk about it. People talk about shadow being things that are in the unconscious, things that are repressed, parts of the self that aren't very integrated. I'd say that there are parts of the self that have a lot of energy and they are often unconscious for some reason. They're often offline. They're not in the awareness and they manifest somewhere in the personality or in the body. And so what you might see is the repression of them. Uh, A lot of people, for example, that repress anger, or if anger's in the shadow, you lose all the aliveness of that Mm. fight ability and that ability to deeply create in life. And so shadow is, is basically a term I would use to describe some archetypal energies that for one reason or another didn't get integrated into the personality because of where or how someone grew up culturally or individually. And so what shadow work is, is the process of returning those energies uh, to being online in the person because they're inherently life-giving, but like anything, they can also be life-taking. Mm-hmm. So it's coming into relationship with those really powerful things mm-hmm. that maybe didn't we didn't get taught how to hold or how to roll with. Mm. You see, I really like that because I know I see a lot of messaging out there about bringing light into the shadow. You know, people talk about, yeah. you know, darkness can't exist when you bring light into a room. And a brother of mine, uh, David Lyon, who's been on here on the yeah. show before, shout out to him. He uh, he helped me see a different perspective about shadow because I, especially talking about the boy that I was, the human that I've been for most of my life, was someone who was oriented towards the light. I was always the optimist. Uh-huh. I was always very extroverted, social, uh, believing, possibility, hope, all of those things and had a great aversion to the shadow. And part of my initiation into manhood was befriending shadow, being unafraid to step into that space and seeing that it wasn't really my enemy. It was this counterpart of myself that I had never really embraced before 
for one, for many different reasons. But what right. I hear you saying is that it's a part of ourselves that we can embrace, that there is a lot of energy there. And the the story that David used to help me understand this, he says, do you remember the story of Peter Pan? And I was like, dude, I, I no, <laughs> my, this is like two <laughs> years ago. It's funny now because my son is four and he's all about Peter Pan right now. So I'm, I'm relearning yeah, the story. About the, yeah, exactly. The, the, but he, he loses his shadow. That's how he right. meets Wendy in the beginning. And then his whole thing is about trying to it's gather his shadow man. again. Yeah. So that creativity, that expression, that playfulness, the, even the trickster element of the shadow that, you know, Peter Pan embodies in that story is, is not necessarily a bad part of ourselves. I think actually it's it's really beneficial, especially in times where the world and the circumstances seem so heavy. There's a there's a place for big it, time, I believe. Big time. And it's necessary. It's incredibly creative energy. And it's got to be online. And it's just a matter of making friends with it. Mm-hmm. And allowing it too, right? And then maybe that's a good segue into explaining shadow work and, and working with the shadow, and especially in your style with your understanding of it. Maybe you want to give a description of what that is and, and some background on the Gestalt method too. Yeah, you bet. So Gestalt is an approach to therapy in general that's extremely experiential and depending on who you learn from can be very body-based. And it's sort of a response to a lot of talk therapy and approaches to people working on their issues just through talking about things. And what happens with that, and we know this through brain research as, as well, is that most of the things like traumas or the things that really are, are blocking people or impeding people are in nonverbal parts of the brain. And so to work with them, you have to find techniques that, that are nonverbal, noncognitive. And so there's a variety of, of approaches that we use in Gestalt and in shadow work to do that. We still might use words, but it's the idea if we say something and we're not connected to it, we're just telling our story rather than being in the story and embodying it, that we're not going to have a really big shift. So it's really just a set of techniques and approaches to make sure that that energy is really in the person and in the body when they're, they're going into their stuff. And so, well, uh, just to make a point to what you said, I think the reason it's so necessary for, for men, for adults, especially adults is because we've, we've compressed and, and not, not allowed ourselves to, to feel in that way. Even if we have gotten to a point where we've seen a therapist, we've talked through it. And so it's a, it's a whole nother layer of experience that most of the times we don't get to have. Cause even just this morning, my son was having, he was experiencing anger. And he doesn't have, he literally doesn't have the words or the emotional intelligence to talk through what he's feeling. So yeah. he shows it yeah. and he experiences it. And once that happens, then 20 minutes later, we're, we're back to playing Peter Pan and everything's cool. Totally. So speaking to that a little bit, because I know that's a huge part of it for you. Yeah, it just got to move through. And so it's, I think one of the, the metaphors that we use in, in Gestalt and body-based stuff, especially my mentors, Dewey Freeman and Joan Rieger at the Gestalt Institute, the Rockies out here. We talk about like the king toes in the body and in the emotional body. And emotional energy is just energy that needs to flow. You know, I think that we start to talk about this, especially in men's circles. And it's like, oh, what does that mean, man? Does that mean everybody just needs to cry? You just need to get angry and have a tantrum. And that's kind of like an immature way of understanding it. It's like, yeah, there are these vital parts of you, these sources of aliveness and emotion is part of that. And they've got to be integrated into your life. If you don't have a relationship with it, you're not going to be able to be as in deep connection with the world around you, with your the people that you're in relationship with. And so it's really the art of bringing a lot of your own uh, vitality and personhood back online. And, you know, there's not a lot of cultural wisdom around that stuff. So I think that shadow work is a bit of an attempt to kind of restore some health to a part of human life and relationship that we've been missing out on in this culture that's extremely repressed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a couple things in there for me because I, number one, Almost 100% of the time, I see men who experience this work for the first time, especially once they allow themselves to to really go there. Yeah. When I say that, I, I mean really, really open up, you know, really mm-hmm. lower the guard enough to let mm-hmm. some, some experiential feeling happen. There's almost always a sense of joy, relief, gratitude on the other side of that. So to, to me, it's it's like everybody needs that in, yeah, in, in some respects. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say yeah. is that there's an immense amount of just vital energy. And I think that's what's coming back into a person once they've gone there. I mean, it's like having your mm-hmm. circulation restricted for a long time and all of a sudden it's back online or people that have sleep apnea that aren't breathing right. And they have their first night of sleep where they're really breathing and there's this vitality that returns. And it's the same in the emotional mm-hmm. body. We just got to have flow there 
and it, it naturally restores us to this aliveness and vibrance and health. Yeah, and, and, and I get that it's hard to buy into something like that without having experienced it or seen it. And so it's, totally. that's always the challenge, right, is how do you get people who, or, or guys who are listening to say, oh, man, that's definitely something that I need to have in my life. I, I, there's definitely a blockage there that I have. And there's also something paired with that that I experienced where when I was – a teenager in adolescence too. And I was first starting to really experience the volume and the expanse of my power uh-huh. just from my energy, just from this shadow energy. I saw re- that it re- reflected back to me from my parents and the people closest to me was fear totally. and not knowing what to do with that. Cause yeah. they didn't even, they didn't know what to do with that themselves. So I came up with the story that this is dangerous and this hurts right. the people exactly. around me. And so I shut it down. So is that something you see happening with a lot of people? Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about, especially in regards to shadow. It's like your anger, or your bigness or your power might really frighten the people around you and compromise your relationship. So the young person has a choice. I preserve my relationship and shove this part of me into some basement area of the self or I live it out and I lose my relationships, but I preserve my relationship to this archetypal energy. And so Mm -hmm. that's what it is. Those things get repressed in those various ways. Some part isn't acceptable. So we have to reclaim them later in life. I think that's a big part of what Rites Mm -hmm. of Passage is supposed to be too, sort of reclaiming those things that we got cut off from. And so Mm -hmm. shadow work is, is no different. It's really going in there and finding out what got stuffed back in there. It's like you've got all kinds of batteries inside you that can power you up to a whole nother level, but you just don't know how to put them online yet. And so Shadow work is going down in their basement and and doing the work to hook it all back up again. And it's definitely not a one and done, but you know those first those first experiences of going down in there and experiencing all of the energy that's living inside you that's just been shut out in some shape or form is immense and necessary. And I encourage everyone to at least just go try it. I mean, if you don't leave feeling way more aware and connected to that vital source of energy, then it's not for you. But almost everybody leaves mm-hmm. with this experience of like. Oh wow! There's a lot sleeping inside me that I had no idea. For sure, for sure, that was that was definitely my experience. And I know, thinking about the guys who are hearing about this for the first time, I'm sure the first masculine thought is, "Well, can I do it by myself?" <laughs> so what do you have to say? What do you have to say to that one? Totally. Yeah, the answer is is no, no. You know, I think that that the definition of gestalt, in some shape or form, is uh, what my teacher would say is it's the exploration of exploration of relationship in relationship. And so human beings are formed in relationship. You know, our personalities, our, our being comes online through relationship. We're not meant to be isolated, standalone beings. Mm. For some reason in the culture now, that's, that's become the masculine ideal. But there's a lot more aliveness and thriving that comes online when we return to our relational nature. And so mm-hmm. we've got to do this in some kind of group setting. Here's like a metaphor for you. Is When we were kids, the nervous system of a kid can be totally regulated by an adult, like you would know that as a parent. Like your energetic presence is in many ways extremely strong and grounding, and a kid can be absorbed in that. When we're adults, adult to adult, it's not the same. We need sort of the same kind of ratio of some bigger, you know, collective nervous system or energy field, however you want to understand it, to hold us. And that's why we do this in group, because there's something that happens when a group comes together to focus on one person at a time. It's just in the wiring. I don't know what other way to say it. And Mm. how often as an adult have you gotten all of the focus of 15 other people on you to do some deep stuff? And you don't even have to know what to do. Like it just starts to happen naturally. That's what makes me know that it's in us and we're wired for this. You just create the Mm. space and you set it up and things start to happen. It's amazing the intelligence of the body i I remember i was uh, 27 years old when i first experienced a deep grieving process Uh in in a space with other men and this was a men's weekend it was you know three days with i think it was about 180 men in the same room and there was never there wasn't even an explanation of what we were going to do they just had us all sit in a big circle and the man who was facilitating this, Justin Sterling, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He was facilitating this and he didn't even say what we were about to do. He just started talking about pain. He started describing pain and grief and the the big feelings that so many of us have deep down and the world we live in where men don't get to experience that. 
And he, before he even started to invite us into feeling it deeper, I could, my, my body started to tremble. Yeah, that's exactly and it. And I was yeah. like, what yeah. is happening to me? What is exactly, happening yeah. to me? It, it was, it was shocking. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden with, cause I, I'd never allowed myself to feel that in my adult life. Literally, every time it would start to surface, I would squish it down. And in this space where I finally felt that it was okay to go there, you know, by the, before he even, they, eventually they turned off the lights and they're, you know, doing some other things. And, I, you know, before I knew it, I was on the ground just writhing and, you know, yeah. having guys hold me down and letting yeah. me move this energy around. Yeah. And it was, I'll never forget that because exactly, it yeah. felt like I had, it felt like I'd un, unloaded a decade's worth of emotional stuff. That's so real, and I and, think that's exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah. So, speak maybe speak a little bit more about that because I think that's something. If someone's never experienced that, I, I'm sure they would find that fascinating. What's what's happening on a on a biological or psychological level? Yeah, I think I think it's what I was hearing. I think a lot of people would look at this work from the outside, and they might think you're making people feel sad, or you're making people feel angry, or and it's, that's not true. Like what it, the, the anger is already in there. The grief is already in there. The, in, the intense loneliness is already in there. And there's not a human alive that hasn't experienced something intense and powerful like that. And the only thing to do with it is to cut it off or stuff it or contain, contain it. But when you put people in the collective sort of field where it's allowed to come up, it starts to, it's already in there. It's sort of like the, another metaphor I use a lot in this work is one of midwifery. Like it's just the place where that, that intelligence of that birth to come through starts to happen. And so we just set it up and attend to a person in a particular way and the wisdom of the body takes over and the wisdom mm-hmm. of the emotional self takes over. And so that's largely what it is. You know, it's not, it's not a magical technique. It's just put people in a circumstance where they can be supported in a skillful, attuned way. And it starts to move naturally. And that stuff is stored in the body. And so I think a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, it is exactly what you said. Like it's already in there. It's just a matter of, are you in a relationship with it or not? <laughs> yeah. I, it was, I remember it being very shocking to me. Uh, yeah. Even now I can go back and still remember what was happening in my mind. Cause my mind was trying to figure it out. Right. My mind was saying, what is happening in here? And I saw other guys starting to fall around me with within 20 minutes. It looked like we were inside of an insane asylum. Right. It literally looked like, <laughs> no. like, a, like a psych ward in there. You know, there's like, yeah. you know, like the walking dead meets, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And, and then at the end of it, just to see the, the joy yeah, and the, camaraderie the relationship too i remember seeing this was a very diverse collection of of guys you know all ages from 20s up to 70 and i remember the most striking image was seeing a, a guy who had obviously been he had been a gang member before he had tattoos all over his body all over his face embracing this mm-hmm. very conservative looking older caucasian guy and crying and and just hugging each other and holding each other and i was just like wow I've never seen this before in my life. Totally. It has, it's such, it, and it has, I think there's a, what you're speaking to in a way is it has the power to do more than just restore health to the individual person. Like it breaks down barriers when we do this together. It bonds people deeply, creates a type mm-hmm. of connection that's incredibly unique, that um, that's immediate and palpable and doesn't take any explanation. Like you don't even have to know someone else, but there's this shared human wisdom of the, we are naturally moved by depth and presence. And so mm-hmm. when that happens in front of us, I think we just respond accordingly. But back to what you're saying, like, what does that do to us? What does that do to people to walk around with all of that undigested stuff in the emotional body? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like food just sitting in the stomach. It's like gastroparesis. Like it's not getting digested. Mm-hmm. It's not getting used by the body and it's not getting expelled by the body. It's not getting eliminated. It's just sitting in there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's That's exactly what I wanted to do next was zoom out a little bit, looking at the social implications of having let's just let's just assume that the vast majority of of people especially men are walking around in the world like ticking time bombs i I often think of it like that because you hear story you hear enough stories about the the husband and father who was you know the sweetest most committed individual one day he just goes off the scale and kills his whole family right so to me, the only explanation has to be something connected to this, these, these emotional baggages that we lug around with us. So, so what are your thoughts of like the big picture, how this is affecting us? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't have to be super astute to look around and see 
that men are responsible for most of the physical violence on the planet, most of the destruction mm. of our natural resources, most of the wars, most of the social and political issues and problems. And I feel like these things always come out sideways. I think, you know, people engage in politics, people engage in spirituality in all kinds of ways and, and try to make changes that way. But I really think what's going on is that there's like sort of a, an imbalance or in our ability to be in relationship with ourselves and with each other. And, and it comes out in all kinds of sideways ways. And we see that around us. And so I really think that this has something to do with shifting all of those sideways things that are coming out, like in a consumer society, materialistic society, uh, this idea of ownership and possession and patriarchy and, um, and destruction and just taking and being out of a relationship. We're a part of something much, much bigger, whatever way you want to conceive of that. And so I think this work really is at the heart. I don't think someone that really is in, has the capacity to be deeply in relationship with themselves and with others is going to do those things. It's like a natural intelligence that's in us. So this is sort of reawakening that natural intelligence and the wisdom of relationship. And mm. I think that keeping this stuff locked inside naturally prevents relationship. And so working yes. with it is the way that we're sort of restored to to connection and to wake up that wisdom that comes from connection. Mm. And, and I think so much of it has to do with safety. I I'm thinking so much right now about my son and just children in general Yeah, that a lot of their emotional, big emotional expressions are some version of testing to see if they're safe, okay. deciding if the person who's looking over them is able to keep them safe. Are they able to protect boundaries and guard and protect? And I think when we become adults, we just assume that everybody feels safe, but <laughs> it's not the case. It's not the case. So what, what about safety? What's the role of safety in all this? Yeah, I think that safety to me is still about relationship. It's about trust. To have safety, you have to have relationship. And there has to be some predictability. You know, I think the brain always wants to know what's going to happen and what the consequences are. And so when we do this kind of work, there's a lot of front loading and talking about what might happen and getting people's permission and consent to do things like touch and and they can kind of see what it's like and they can experience what it's like because it's important for people to know what they're getting themselves into. But it's the type of work that requires safety to do, but it creates more by doing it. It mm -hmm. increases our capacity for connection and also for trust and intimacy. And so it's sort of a positive feedback loop. Mm. Yeah. And just the word, the word safety, imagining where I was back when I didn't have any of these tools or resources, I remember part of my fear around this was that I was beginning to see what I was actually capable of. I, I remember when I felt that my actions, my physical actions could really hurt someone. Right. And that was obviously the last thing that I wanted to do. And, and my belief is that people aren't born onto this planet naturally wanting to harm other people. Right. It's some combination of our traumatic experiences and our beliefs about the world and the way things are that lead us down that road. But if, we're created if, if we're nurtured in an environment where we can get to feel safe and seen and heard and also in an environment where we get to express ourselves fully i think a lot of these other social problems just start to disappear Big i don't time. know that because i don't know if we've ever seen that at least not not in recent history but to me that's the the cure to all the problems because once once that stuff's off the table then we can get all the plastic out of the ocean and, and take care of the the environment too you know yeah, I mean, I think that if you look into some of the things that Joseph Campbell talks about, like a devil or a demon is just some type of deity that hasn't been acknowledged in a proper way. Mm. And so it is with the powers inside of us. They need to be acknowledged and integrated. And when we are not in relationship with them, that causes all kinds of sideways things to occur. And so it's exactly what you said, that getting this mm. stuff out in the open is an incredibly important part just to restoring healing. I mean, it's it's an old aphorism, but we're only as sick as our secrets, you know, getting, hmm. getting all of the parts of us out on the table, having them be accepted, welcomed, understood, acknowledged. And I think that's a big part of it too, is when we do it in front of a group and people are still there on the other side, that's a huge deal. Hmm. Like no one judged me for this. No one is refusing to be in relationship with me because of this. You know, it, it actually brought me closer to people instead of further apart. I thought my whole life that if I did this in front of someone, it was going to make people further away from me. 
So mm. it actually creates connection yeah. rather than, than prevents it. That's it right there. Cause that's what it was for me too. The, when I first took that courageous step across the line and said, okay, I'm going to share something that nobody knows about me and test it. Yeah. You know, cause the context was created cause confidentiality and trust was established with it within the, whoever was facilitating it. And that was exactly what happened in my mind is, okay, I'm going to say this. Is anybody, is anybody going to leave the room? Is, right. any, is anybody going to judge me? Is anybody going to call me a name or look at me funny or call the cops? Right. <laughs> you know, totally. some of the things that I share, right? <laughs> and when you see that that doesn't happen, it's like, oh, wow, it's really not as big as I thought it was. In fact, there's half the room right now looking back at me crying because they had the same experience. Exactly. And I talk about that all the time. You, you, you have no idea until you share something how ununique you are. <laughs> but that's the belief totally. is that we, our problems are so unique that nobody would get it. So it's, I think that's just the ego giving us a reason not to share it. Yeah, man, there's a way that junior high school is going on in the emotional body. And most adults is just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let this be seen. I'm not going to let this be out there. It's going to be terrible. Right. And to some degree in, in mainstream culture, it is that way. You know, there's a definite set of aversions and values and judgments that occur in mainstream culture. But I think there's something that's trying to shift that, you know, that vulnerability is being encouraged, that emotional intelligence is being encouraged. So we might be seeing something like a real cultural shift here, but it has something to do with that. It has something to do with knowing that we're not alone in those things and other people can relate. That's huge Mm -hmm. for someone's growth, development, and ability to be in a relationship. Can't underestimate that. Yeah. Yeah. That that brings up something for me or going all the way back full circle to this distinction between a boy and a man, or maybe even just the distinction between a child and an adult, because mm-hmm. that's, that's what kids do, right? Is they, they look for things that are different and they expose them and point them out because right. they're discovering things. It's all about discovery and adventure and understanding their environment and people better. So, but with, with adults, with men, if you're in a, if you're in a room where somebody shares something really vulnerable, you get it. You just get that. Wow. There, here's a, here's a real human being in front of me who has this thing about him that he's done in his past or that he currently is or believes about himself that took him a lot to, to share that. And I think that that would be one of the markers of a man for me is someone who can witness a, another person in their vulnerability and in their rawest truth and not judge them for it, to, to see the hum, humanity and the humility in them because we know that that's how we are. We, we, we don't, we don't put ourselves above anybody else based on their beliefs or their actions in their past. Big time, big time. That's, that's part of the big, huge cultural shift that I hope is occurring. We can mm-hmm. bring sort of more compassion, more of the lover quadrant into the archetypal masculine. Mm-hmm. So this is, I, I've asked a couple of other guests where we've talked about, you know, real social healing on a big scale. And I, so I always go, hey, let's go, let's go to the you know supposed bottom of the barrel, right? The people that are the most difficult for to forgive. You know, I'm talking about people who've committed rape, who've committed violence against other, against other people, people who have committed violence or abuse against children. Mm-hmm. How how do we find it in our hearts to have compassion for those folks? Especially when you look at an adult, especially I think the, the hardest one is for me with adults transgressing against children. Sure. Because it's like you know, the innocence of children versus an uh, adult who should know better. You know, there's like a couple of things I think that have to be touched on because there's different people to have compassion, to forgive or to work with folks that have transgressed in that way. It's one thing for folks that have been on the receiving end of that. They may well not need to forgive. That may be the health, healthiest thing. I really do believe that. Jeff Brown is a fantastic writer and speaker on this topic. It may be really healthy and important for them to not forgive. Like that's really up to them in their life, mm. boundaries, reclaiming power, acknowledging the wrong. So it's not really their job to forgive. If that's a part of their journey, then great. But I wouldn't ever stress that or encourage that. I don't, I don't think that that's, that's kind of like a, maybe a, an old cultural Christian model of like how healing happens. It's like, you just let it go. You do the, the higher thing. Mm. Um, and I don't necessarily mm. think that that really restores health, nor relationship, nor mm. safety, but it's something else for a culture and for a group of people to hold those things. And I think that the good news is that there's people that are drawn to working with those folks that have been on the perpetrator side of things. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's a bit like shadow work, like we were talking about earlier, is on some level, you can acknowledge that in you, 
is a capacity. And this is a, this is like an edgy thing. You know, people might say like, no, I would never do that. And that may be very well true, but there's something to like understanding. Like if I had maybe been in similar circumstances, I might do the same thing. I can understand being so disconnected as a human that I start to look towards these, these things to, to feel some type of contact. And you can really appreciate like the desperation and that it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that person, because you can believe in their inherent goodness, it doesn't mean that they're safe. Mm -hmm. So I guess I believe in a mix of like boundaries and like some containment, but also there's some people that are wonderful at working with folks that have been offenders. And it's also really important because it's pervasive. It's pervasive. I mean, when Mm -hmm. I was in college, the statistics at my college were off the charts. I mean, it was almost half of the women by the time they graduated Mm -hmm. had been victims of sexual assault or attempted sexual assault. I mean, that, that's huge and that's atrocious. So there's a lot of need to work with folks that are on that side of things. Am I answering your question? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's causing me to reflect on it as well. Cause I don't think that an absolution of these, of these acts is, is what's necessary, but even just creating a space where those people get to heal too. Big time. Like you said, I, I liked what you said is that acknowledging that this person may not be safe right now, but we're also not kicking them to the curb. We're not giving right. up on any human ever. Yeah. To me, that's a, a measure when, when, when we get there someday, I don't know when or how, right. but when we get to a point where we don't give up on any human, when we're willing to go the distance with them, I think that's when we can look and say, okay, we've, we've definitely evolved as, as a species, you know, cause our, one of the greatest assets we have is, is empathy and the, the ability to feel compassion towards another soul, towards yeah. another being. And maybe it's not forgiveness, but it's a spectrum and a scale too, you know, cause I think that vengeance, retribution for, for these types of acts, it, it also doesn't st- serve, you know, those are just like you said, statistically retributive justice is, it just doesn't work. Right. They've, there's right. been a ton. There's been a ton of research done towards that, and if you look at the doesn't work at all. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's it's it's. And I think that's also connected to a very Christian model of justice as well. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for the primal wiring of the brain. Like we are so so disposed to hold on and remember the negative things, and to create safety and predictability by expelling and cutting out sources of like danger or threat. It's like a really mm-hmm. primal part of the brain, and so like maybe an or, a more integrated approach is, is making sure that populations are safe, but that there is sort of a restorative justice model. Like th- these are human beings mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe I would have acted the same way had I had the same upbringing or experiences or, or whatnot. And, and the good news is there's a lot of people out there that do have a heart for that work. Um, yeah. And hopefully we have a pretty big cultural shift to restorative justice as an approach in general to whatever crime. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I'm, I'm definitely an advocate for it and a champion for us having that future, that possibility of our future. So I, I, I hope that we get to see that in our lifetime, where we really make, turn, that, turn that corner. Let me ask you to speak a little bit more to some other things we mentioned before we started recording. You, you said uh, ritual connection. You mentioned yeah. ritual connection, and we've, you've alluded to it so far, but what, what is that and, and why? why? Why ritual connection? Yeah, you bet. Like that's, that's a term I'm kind of playing around with. And so it's referring to what we might do in a shadow work session and what that might look like to folks that don't know is that it could be a whole weekend or it could be a day where there's a couple of support folks and maybe eight to 15 men. And each person is going to get a chance to be sort of the focal point and be in the middle of the circle and to be facilitated by me or someone else that has a training. And the group offers some support. I say ritual because it's not a normal thing in the day-to-day to get together in a way that, that really excavates and, and makes space for like really deep grief, really deep anger, really deep fear, really deep feelings of betrayal. Like th- those are things that, pe- that almost everybody has gone through, but our outlets for them are spiritual practice, sitting on a cushion or prayer or talking with a friend or a therapist. To me, those aren't big enough or strong enough of a container for that energy to move through. And I think that the mm-hmm. the amount of energy that in those emotional experiences for people is immense. And so it takes coming together in an intentional way. So that's why I say it's ritual in that it's we're coming together in an intentional way with a specific purpose to allow for these big things to flow through. And I use the term connection because it's 
it requires a group to do. It's not just one person. It's not just a therapist. Mm. It's not just a, a mentor. It's not just a, a partner or a friend. There's something about it being a lot of people at once. I think for an mm. adult to feel truly held or for whatever word you want to use for those big energies to come through, there has to be a lot of people there and they have mm. to be focused on one person. So it is a ritual type of connection. And I also use the word ritual because I feel like it's in us. It's, it's a special spot like in the human soul and psyche and heart. And it takes being approached with intention and reverence. And we open it up. And like you said, when you went in when you were 27, like it just starts to happen. Those things naturally start to open up in us. And so it's an acknowledgement of the vulnerability and depth of what might come through. So it's, it's also meant to honor that stuff because it's the worst feeling to open up really deeply and have that shut down or to have us missed or to have people judge or put their agenda on what needs to happen when and how. And like, for example, mm-hmm. like you need to forgive or you need to let go or, you know, someone imposes hmm. their view of the way through or imposes their view on your healing or your, your process of reclamation. And so it's really just tapping into the intelligence of that individual's emotional body and physical body and spiritual self and allowing it to come through and have the resources there for, for mm-hmm. the natural move to be made. Oh man, that's, that's huge. I love the way you explain that. And a brother of mine, Sean Barry, who I, I mentioned to you before, he, he makes a distinction between the words ritual and ceremony that I think fits in with your description here. He says that mm-hmm. ceremony is something that is, is like a one-time thing. You have a wedding ceremony and it's, it's the only time that it happens that way. So it's that, and, and ritual is something that can be done repeatedly. Right. You may have a, a morning ritual where you wake up and you do some stretching and you do some yoga, breath work, whatever it is. So when you say ritual connection, to me, I hear a repeated practice of coming together and gathering in this way as men. It doesn't always need to look exactly the same, but the same purpose, the same intent and the same framework of a practice that, gosh, man, I, I just imagine if there were these circles in every community, Big time, yeah. in every every city where, hey, this is, you know, we're going to light a fire and men are going to get together. We do this every Thursday. Anybody who needs some of that healing or wants or, or doesn't need the healing wants to just be a space and support. It's like, oh my God, man. It's like going to the well and getting a, a drink of water totally. in the desert. Totally. You know, that makes me think about another part of it is that it's it's not the case that it's only the person in the middle that's receiving the benefit. Like it's often the Mm -hmm. case that the the person or the man in the middle is doing work for people on the outside of the circle. It's just a, it's a wild way that human beings work Mm -hmm. that, that someone else doing their grief in the middle is helping me with my own, Mm -hmm. giving me more permission to feel my own. It's putting me more in touch with my own. And so it's, it's also in that, in that circumstance, like it's the healing spreads out. Even if you're not the person in the middle, like you said, just participating, just, being with other men in it is nourishing to us just to be of support. Yeah. But yeah, man, what if this was going on all over the place? That's, that's a hope I definitely hold out for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that part to me. That really, that really completes this description, uh, giving guys an idea of what this, what this looks like and what it can feel like. And it's not even like a woo woo thing. It's not even a spiritual thing. Just imagine the last time that you saw an athlete at the pinnacle of their performance, you know, break down into tears and you feel something, you feel something in your body or you see an emotional performance in a movie that moves you. That's, that's the exact same thing we're talking about here. It may not be somebody processing the same grief that you have, but the fact that somebody, some, someone else's experience can move or stir something in us is my opinion is is them doing healing for for you big time you know do, do being the expression of the work that's happening internally that maybe we can't see big time yeah beautiful man I, you know last thing before we start to tie this all together i know that when i asked you before we started recording you said you had a very very specific message you would want to share with with men who were listening to this so yeah thank you why don't you go ahead and share that up i think my message is that men have just got to get together and and it's more than just getting together. It's learning how to get together again and to move things of depth and substance when we're together. Women are doing a fantastic job of this. Um, and for some reason or another, men are pretty far behind. And men are, I just keep getting drawn to the to isolation and the sickness and the loneliness and the things coming out sideways. And I just think that there's a much more alive and vibrant version of us that's possible when we get together. 
And so for people that don't know how to do that, I mean, I think there's a million ways, even if it's just getting together with friends, that's great. But it's, it's also like learning to exchange things of depth when you're together and making a, an intentional space for that. You know, okay, every two weeks, we're going to get together, six of us, and we're just going to do a deep check-in, all of us together. What was, how's it been for you? How's it been for you? How's it been for you? Or, you know, if people are inclined, you know, what I did was I chose a book and then I chose a couple of men in my community two years ago and just asked if we could get together every two weeks and do a chapter every two weeks. So you might go out and get a book like Trevor Boehm's book, Man Uncivilized, and do 40 pages every two weeks and just talk about what came up for you personally, philosophically, but also personally. So I just want men to be getting together and to be acknowledging the unacknowledged parts, not just hanging out, but hanging out is in and of itself incredibly important and nourishing, but to really build a culture of people getting together and and really, truly checking in, like, how are you doing? What's going on? Where are you at? Mm. And there's nothing that bonds a circle or community of men and more than, than really showing that ugly stuff or the stuff that we believe to be ugly, that shadow work. I mean, like I said before, the, the guys in the room after experiencing that, there's such a sense of trust. You, you don't have to know these people's stories. When you go through an experience like that, a lot of that's irrelevant because someone shows you everything you need to know about them in that space, then that becomes one of the closest people to you in your life because everywhere else in the world, so connection is so superficial most of the time. Okay. So it, if you can create a space where you have a shared experience like this, then dropping in and actually sharing what's going on on a regular basis doesn't become as difficult. And it's, it's a, in my experience, it's been a practice that gets built up over time because it's, it's still not easy yeah. to expose the things that we feel shame, shame about or guilty for, but it gets better the more we practice just like everything else. Big time. And so just do something. I think it's the message, like just do something, just get folks together and do it regularly. And like you said, it'll come in time. You said it really well, like it'll deepen over time. Naturally, it'll root over time. Naturally, it'll be feel stable and trustable over time naturally just give it some time and keep doing it keep doing it yeah wow wow man this has been a powerful conversation i really appreciate everything that we've gotten to uncover and and share with the guys who are listening you know before before we put a bow on it let me ask you a couple of lightning round style questions yeah, you ready for that man yeah let it fly <laughs> all right so what is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18 oh man that there really is a living, I mean, this is going to get into the spiritual and esoteric stuff, but it's what I really needed to know. I grew up in a really Christian family in the South. And what I was really missing was like an alive living connection to sort of the powers that be in the universe and to the earth. And, and it's there and it's waiting for us. It's so waiting for us and it is right there. And I wish I had known that. I think I was in like a pretty deep depression and feeling of lostness because I didn't know mm. how to connect into that. And I didn't know how to feel that. And, mm. and it was right there waiting for me the whole time. Yeah, man. Uh, normally I don't respond to these, but that, that really hits a chord for me because I remember feeling that, Yeah, but I, I wish somebody gave me the permission mm -hmm. to say that your my way was the way that my yeah. way of wanting to experience or explore that connection was okay. And it didn't have to happen a certain way for it to be valid. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. That each individual yeah. has their own living connection and it's okay for it to look the way it looks and have to be like anybody else's. Mm. And it shouldn't. Yeah. That means it's like alive and unique to you. Right. Yeah. And, and genuine that, you know, uh, that we're not just regurgitating what somebody else's version of that connection is for the sake of obeying <laughs> or, or walking yeah. inside the lines. Exactly. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. One more. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I don't know. I think it's, a human thing, but to be in service of something that's much bigger than yourself. And it's going to be different for each person. It can be family, it can be partnership, but there's something, there's an old Robert Black quote that I like a lot. He talks about a lot of men is like in the new age and things like that are life preserving, but they're not life giving. And there's a certain quality of fierceness and clarity of purpose that we need to truly be life giving. And so I think that that's, that's the piece is to, to know how you are life-giving and to do it. I like that, man. I like it a lot. 
All right. Well, last but not least, where can people go to follow you, connect with you, get on the carpet with you, yeah. <laughs> and do some yeah. work? Totally. We've got a couple of experiences coming up with Sacred Sun, some EMX experiences, which are more like a deep dive weekend experiences where you can experience some shadow work and some other things. And we've got about one of those a month coming up here for 2020. So go ahead and jump in if you haven't already. You can find me on Instagram and I'm making it a, a goal for 2020 to be on there more. It's not really my preferred medium. I'd much rather be out in the, in the ethers in the wild, but Lightning Tree <laughs> MG is my handle. And um, nice. And I'm not a big fan of, of working over Skype or over the phone, but I do fly out and meet with folks and do weekend experientials. And I'm happy mm-hmm. to talk about that with folks. And so you can just find me on my Psychology Today profile or email me at michaelgaycounseling at gmail.com. Nice, man. And for Sacred Sons, is it sacredsons.org or are they a .com? Just so that anybody listening knows. I think it's .com. Okay. All right, great. Because we'll make sure we put that in the show notes, and awesome. uh, I'll also attest to to that work. I know that you're a huge part of the some a lot of the stuff those guys are doing. To be there at Convergence and see 120 men go through this process just creates such a powerful bond in the community. It's just a powerful container. So whether it's one of the EMXs or you, you gear up for the big convergence, it's bound to happen towards the end of 2020. Get yourself out there with these guys because it's, it's really big and important work, man. So thanks for everything that you do, everything that you are. You clearly are walking a path of mastery in what you do. I really honor and respect how you Thank do you, what Shady. you do in this life. Yeah, it was great to have you on here, man. Thanks it's for being honor. here. Thanks so much, Shady. Keep doing what you do, man. This is such a powerful episode for so many reasons. One of which is because Michael is such a well and resource of information and wisdom, and he straight up dropped it here today. Another reason is because this conversation, this dialogue we had today about shadow work, about looking at the dark corners of our soul, of our human being that we don't want to, that we oftentimes look away from, is exactly the place where we need to go together as men. I've seen Michael do his work. I've experienced it myself. I've seen and experienced and trained with other men who do exactly this, very simply, providing a safe enough space for men to reveal what is true, what is most painful, what is most shameful, what is most difficult to speak. Because once it's spoken, it loses its strength, loses its power, and ultimately is resolved. Maybe not all at once, but over time. And so if shadow work, the Gestalt method, deep men's work is calling to you, then you gotta make sure you check out what we're offering within the Rising Man. Definitely check out the Sacred Sons and what they're doing too. For everything we've got going on, you can head over to risingman.org. If you wanna claim one of the last two spots in our Spring Compass group, you can still sneak your way in there. Check it out, go fill out an application. Everything you need is at risingman.org. If you're not ready to go fast in the desert, then definitely become a part of our virtual online circles, the Rising Man Fire Circles. You can get all that information again at risingman.org. Please subscribe and follow the Rising Man podcast wherever you're listening to us. Leave those reviews, drop those comments. Let us know what you're thinking about the podcast because I love to read them every single week. It's the best part of my day, hearing the impact of what we're sharing on this show. Keep them coming because I love it. The men, the women, whoever you are, all of it, all of it means so much to me. So thank you for that in advance. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our new YouTube channel. If you haven't gone to check it out yet, it's youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Go over there, hit that subscribe button so you get the Monday morning meditation videos in your inbox every single Monday. Shout outs to my power team, Sean Offenbach, Rowan Tyne, Julian Subic, and Mr. Mark Rose. I love you fellas. You already know. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.